Father, we thank you again for this time together. What a joy it is to see each other and visit and make plans to be together again. Thank you for the weather, the um, the excitement that it brings in East Texas when we feel the first blast of cool air. What a treasure that is. So we, once again, are thankful to you and your mercy and your goodness to us um, and even these small things. More importantly, of course, we thank you for Christ and the grace that we have in him, through him and to him, that we are overwhelmed by the measure of love that you have shown to us by calling us the sons of God, and indeed we are, as John tells us. We pray that you would open your word for us again this morning, reveal to us Jesus, let's be more in love with him when we leave this place. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, we are in Exodus 28. Verse 6 through verse 14. And you remember last week, we were introduced to the priesthood through initially the duty to keep the lamp lit using the fuel of beaten, pure, expensive oil. And then we were told about this new office, the priesthood, by an overview of the clothing that they would wear. And the clothing that they wore displayed their being set apart for service. It was a clothing that mirrored the inner layer of material in the tabernacle. It showed that they wore, basically, the presence of God. That was, the, that was the picture that we saw last week. That they wore the presence of God. It showed them being set apart. And then we drew some New Testament analogies and, and, and statements Uh, that show that as well with us. And we begin looking this week um, at each element of the clothing in a little more detail. And the passage for today is is dealing with clothing that is to be worn uh, by the high priest. And it's of a piece of clothing called an ephod. I don't know what that is, but we're going to look at it and see if we can draw some conclusions on on what that might be. Um, Look at verse 6. This is God talking to Moses on the mountain, giving him instructions on the tabernacle and the service in the tabernacle. And we continue. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave them, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of fine uh, of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord 
on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. It's a very detailed description of this one piece of clothing. Um, see similarities in the material here. What do you see? Gold. Fine linen. Fine linen. Yeah, what, what is that a picture of again? Royalty. The royalty issue, okay. Yeah. Notch, best, of the best. best of the best. Upper tier fabrics. Glory. Glory. We saw that last week, didn't we? Glory, holy, beauty. Yeah. The materials that were used in the creation of the tabernacle in holy place. In the holy place, the, the inner the inner area, yeah. not the outer court, but the inner area. You have that first layer of material that is it's the same material being used here. Same colors, same scheme, same decor. The whole thing is similar to reflect what? Again, we see this. The glory, of God. the glory of God. It's the nature of God. Again, the presence of God. Those those inner two sanction, uh, sanctuary rooms are just full of the glory of God. And they're wearing, again, the glory of God. The materials for the ephod are the same as those for the inner sanctuary. Just like the inner sanctuary was to be skillfully woven, so too the ephod for the high priest. What is an ephod? What is that? It's like a vest. A vest? Like a. Yeah, some. Yeah. Like a breastplate. Well, we're going to get to a breast piece here next. Next week. A bib? I mean, it's over there. What does it say? An apron? Sorry, it's the more official version of apron. Apron. Oh, okay. So your study Bibles have an artist's representation of what this ephod would look like. It doesn't tell us. But we we don't have... The Bible doesn't come with pictures. It comes with words. And so we're drawing conclusions from the way that it's described, yes? And so we have here a, a type of apron. Apron, however you want to say that. We don't really know what the purpose was. What's the purpose of this? Okay. To set them apart. It has the names engraved of the 12 sons of Israel and has to be displayed in the poor God. Okay, so on the ephod. So they're representing the people of God, so it's another way of representing the people. So you have stones that are set on the shoulders, the names of the sons of, the, of Israel on them. It's a representative thing before God, he says, even as a remembrance. Do we know if this is mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, this ephod? Um, David, David did it when? When he, apparently his wife thought he was indecently exposed, so I think it was when he was dancing. <laughs> Another dancing reference this morning. Um, David wears an ephod. And apparently, it wasn't exactly the most modest thing for a king to wear an ephod. Well, if you have just an ephod, not modest. Um, and yet, it says that he wore it when he danced before Yahweh with all his might. Second Samuel is, is where that's located. Now, Samuel, the prophet, when he was a child serving in the tabernacle, wore an ephod. 
as he served. Um, but here we're dealing with, with what the high priest wear. I mean, he, he talks about Aaron wearing this before. Yes? Well, why was David wearing one if he's not a, a line of Aaron? Well, that's an interesting discussion, okay. isn't it? Maybe we'll talk about that one of these days. If I live long enough to get to Samuel, we will. I don't see it happening. Um, but yes, maybe we can do a, a, a study on that sometime in the life of David. But, but yes, that's a very good question. Um, we're dealing with what the high priest wears here, an ephod with these stones. What, what else do we know uh, about just the piece of clothing itself? Not, not getting into the stones just yet, but six through eight. What, what else do we know about this ephod? What does it say? What else is a, a characteristic of the ephod? Three. Three main pieces, and what are they? I, I'm not paying attention to your study guide notes. I want to hear... Okay, and, and there's, there's something else involved. What else is there? We talked about the cygnus and the stones. What else? A sash. What does it say? It's a band. Okay, and what is the band supposed to look like? It's the same clothing, isn't it? It's the same thing. Maybe it provides some contrast and it goes horizontal, whereas the ephod does. I don't know. I'm not. There's a woven band that encircles it to hold it in place, like a belt kind of thing. Um, and the term here is used exclusively of the band on the ephod. It, it, everywhere else, this is the term used for this type of ephod. And then you have the two shoulder pieces that bind it together. So the basic construction of it is an apron, two shoulder pieces combined together, and then a belt kind of keeps it cinched up. So it's three pieces, but they're all joined together. It, yes. Okay, that's way okay. Well, now we're getting into speculation, but let's but let's let's rein it in and just talk about what the text says in front of us this morning, and then maybe we can draw some conclusions. Look at nine through fourteen, Ty. Uh, look at nine through fourteen. What's on the shoulder pieces again? Thank you very much. It's part of the band. Part of the band. What is it? Some gigantic stones, you say. What does it say? Two. What two onyx stones, and what's just for grins? What's on the stones? What does it say? Can you name these names that would be on the just for grins? What are the names that are on the stones? See, this is this is where it's interesting. What does the text say? The sons, which is different than the tribes, right? And what's the difference? No. Well, later, but not now. Joseph, Joseph's. Two sons yeah, took his place. Yeah, so, but it doesn't say that. It says the sons, and so it, wouldn't it not be Joseph? It would be Joseph. Son, but I, that, six and there were 13 of them. No, there were 12 so sons. Were 12 sons. But, then, but, then, then but then there's a split thing. So the tribe list is different than the son list. Why put the sons there, not the tribes? 
Why go with the sons? Well, the, the, there are 12 tribes. I mean, if you, if you account for Manasseh, Ephraim, and Levi being taken out, then you have 12 tribes. Because Levi's not counted in, in the tribe list. He's not part of the 12 because he's separated solely to God. But why, why, why the sons? Ah, very interesting. The sons of Israel reminds is a remembrance of the covenant between uh, Israel and God, the people of God, from Jacob, from Israel, to the 12 sons, his entire <coughs> line, the family. It's a family reference. Um, well, each stone has engraved the names of six of the sons on each side. He says that the engraver of the stones is to be one who is skilled by engraving signets. The ESV uses the word signets here. What is a signet? Talk about a ring. A special ring. We think in terms of special ring, kings, the king's signet. We think of it that way. It's a seal. Other translations use the word seal. Uh, it, it, what's in, in view here? Normally, these these were uh, small geometric pieces of of stone. Bone, fired clay, those kinds of things. And they had designs or writing that are engraved on the surface, and they're very intricate, very detailed, sometimes words, sometimes designs, but it took a lot of artistry to do it. Um, why does the high priest bear these names on his shoulders? What do you think? It's a remembrance. Remembrance, it says. To the covenant. To the covenant. It, it signifies his position as representing the covenant before God. God, remember your covenant. Is, is it also sort of like he's responsible for them? Ah, and good. He carries the weight, the of, them weight of them on his shoulders. Very good. Yes. He is bearing the weight of the people on his shoulders before God, the bearing the remembrance, the responsibility of representing them as, covenant, as a covenant community to God. He's the guy. Uh, it's a remembrance, a reminder of the covenant between Yahweh and his people with, with all of Israel. We're not leaving the Levites out, right? It's all of Israel. Um, and then you have verses 13 and 14 that, are, that, that look forward to the introduction of, um, of the breast piece, which is, we're, we're going to take that up next week. But you have the, the chains and, the, and, the, and the, the, the connectors there for the chain that is really solid pieces so that the breast piece will hang on it and not flop around. Um, but we'll talk about that next week. Does this remind you of anything? These, these stones, this ephod, this whole, does it bring to mind anything to you? From a, I mean, Old and New Testament, is this, is this imagery used elsewhere? It reminds me of a covering. I mean, it reminds me of Jesus, obviously, but the, the covering of, of what Christ did for our sins. Okay. In what way? Clothing and righteousness. Giving us his garments. So it's a foreign righteousness to us. He does the duty. He does the representative work and then gives us the benefits of what he's done to great exchange. Our sin for his righteousness. Okay. What about these stones? We see this anywhere else. You remember anything else? The stone over the tomb. Okay. There is, there is a, a, a rock issue there. 
Um, wh what else? I know coming up there will be stones for the breastplate. Okay, and those will be different, won't they? Those will be the tribes. Um, the stones of the law, okay, there's engraving of stones of the, of the law. But these are names he's wearing. Can you think of anything else where a stone engraved? We, 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 are, we are stones. Okay. So Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are built up into a holy temple. And it's interesting you bring that up because that comes from Psalm 118. And there's a word play here with stones and sons. The, it's a, it's, they're, they're very similar sounding words and so there's some literary stuff going on here and Jesus brings that same kind of literary device up when he talks about the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone and, and the way the word works is it has a very similar sound to the son that the builders rejected the same kind of idea and it's the sons of Israel that are on the shoulders of the, the priest and so there's some, some interesting things going on but as I was reading this uh, and, and, and working through it, one of the things that immediately came to mind to me as a representative of the body of Christ, as a representative of the church, Christ our King, I remember uh, Philip preached uh, a while back in Isaiah 49, lo those many moons ago, um, behold I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Right? Even more than stones, it's on his hands. Um, Zechariah 3.9, For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, Joshua was the high priest at the time Zechariah was prophesying, on a single stone with seven eyes, or facets, another way to translate that, uh, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. But this section in Exodus is probably the backdrop to this promise in Revelation. Revelation 2.17 You've always wanted me to do this. So Revelation 2.17, David is gleefully turning to Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. What color is onyx? White. Black. Black is onyx. <laughs> Honestly, it's black. Okay. Um, all week I've been waiting to do that one. Thank you. All right. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What's the new name? Always a good answer in Sunday school. Jesus. And, and I agree with you. And here's why. Oh, those, right? Oh. <laughs> it's always a good answer. It's, it's, it's really difficult to go wrong with that answer. I'm just, not to, not to shortchange your great answer. All right. Uh, Revelation 3.12 says this. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar. That's a long column for those of us in East Texas. And the temple of my God, never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Writing the names of God, the city, and his own new name. Again, the name that he gives him on this stone is, I, I firmly believe, is the name of Christ. There's a difference in knowing generally 
and knowing, right? Um, but why just one stone? If, if he's pulling from what the, uh, what, the, what the priestly garb is, there's two stones. Why just one stone? Why just one? It's a better covenant. Even Hebrews is what you're pulling yes. from. Yes. It's a better covenant. Right. And, well, let me... G.K. Bill, one of the smart guys I read, uh, in his commentary on Revelation, thinks that the two stones of the ephod are reduced to one stone because Christ has summed up Israel in himself and only his name. The name of the true representative of Israel need be written on this end-time stone which is worn by the believer priest, right? We talked about that before, how the New Testament frequently refers to uh, uh, believers as the, the holy race, a royal priesthood, you know, a holy nation, those, those kinds, uh, a chosen race, a royal, a royal priesthood. So you have that idea of the believer priest being given to wear this one stone with the new name that is white, not like the old covenant, but collapsed into one person, one man, the true Israel. And we wear him. We wear the name of him. Um, the, and only that stone, only that name, it allows you to be a priest. I mean, that, that's, it's, it's an exclusive thing that only he knows, that only I know. Jesus says it this way, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, John 6, 44. He also says in John 14, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, that seems pretty exclusive. No one except... Those are pretty um, exclusive words. It doesn't say if you, um, if you it, like uh, C.S. Lewis may say at the end of the last battle, um, if you serve Tash as unto me, it's like you're serving me, Aslan. Th that doesn't, it's not allowed for here in, in, in Jesus' terminology in John 14. Notice this, though, that in Revelation 2.17, Jesus does not say, to him... Who overcomes, I will let him look at the stone I wear with a new name on it. Right? Because in, in the Old Covenant, we have the high priest wearing that stone. But here, he gives it to the believer priest. To you, if you're in Christ. That's given to you, who overcomes. Remember this idea of Christians, again, being priests. Um, but there's something wrapped up in this new identity. It's the gift of grace that's given. But there's the idea that if you're in Christ, you bear his name. And he represents all of us. And so what you wear is him and all of us, the church. Not just Sylvania, I'm talking about universal, the, um, the holy apostolic Catholic church that is everything but Rome. Um, the holy apostolic Catholic Church. Um, 
Anyway, that's another discussion. Um, so when you say the Apostles' Creed and it says, I believe in the Catholic Church, that's not Rome. It's a little c, meaning the universal body of Christ, to which you are given a representation because in him, we're in him, he's in us, John 17, the whole thing. So um, the clothes reflect the presence of God, and we wear his name as if there were any um, confusion about who we were. But it, what, so that whatever, we had the alert guys here last week. So whatever I, and they had the uniform, we asked them, does it cause you pause? how you act when you have the uniform on. You know? And they said, no, we're, we're consistent in every moment. You know? <laughs> if only we had their zeal. Whatever I do reflects not only on Christ, but also, unfortunately for you, all of you. And, and, and you, me. We represent each other. We're saved individually, yes, but we're saved into a body. We're saved into a corporate uh, I was almost going to say entity, seeking legal terms. But that's true, actually, except you don't have any voting rights. We have one king, one CEO who controls everything. Um, my sin reflects not only on Christ, as if that were not enough, but it also reflects on you. We don't sin in a vacuum. Be who you are in Christ. Be clothed in his righteousness. Wear his name as something bigger than yourself. Um, Peter says it this way, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Be free servants. Free slaves. Uh, Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death, blackstones, to life, white stones, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What I do reflects on him and on all of you and you to me. Be who you are in Christ. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. It's a big, a big deal. A big deal to wear his name. Count the cost. It's a big deal. Any, any comments on that? And yet there's grace when you don't do it. We also wear that as well. Um... Any statements? Any comments? It is a really good picture of who we are today because the uh, the priest was a big deal. Mm -hmm. The priest got all dressed up and represented all these people and represented an entire nation before God. And for us to view that, I mean, just like as you've been saying, for us to view it in that sense, it's a really big deal to be to be Jesus to the world. Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? I'm not. Are you? That's why we need to be clothed in a foreign righteousness. And yet strive for the holiness without which no one sees the Lord. You can't do it. You've got to be at the foot of the cross always. Always. Yeah. 
It's hard to imagine that the black stones were part of the beautiful clothing of the priests, mm -hmm. even though they represented death. But in our minds, it sounds like a bad thing, but in God's grand picture of the gospel, there's death. Well, yes. And, and it leads to, to life. Uh, the most notable place for that is the cross. Judgment leads to death, and yet in him there's resurrection, life. Well, assuming we didn't go too far and say that they represent them because they're black. But. The old covenant brings death. Yeah. That, was the, that was the point I was making. Not necessarily that the sons of Israel are all death. We're not, I'm just not being anti-Semitic. I'm talking about the covenant itself. All right, anything else? In that same priestly mode as believers, you know, Paul, Paul also says, let's, he says it in Ephesians, and the author of Hebrews also says, whoever that may be, uh, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. Sure. So, yeah, constantly, you know, we have, we're sinful in our old man, mm -hmm. but we have Christ, and we are priests, and so we can, we can approach him. And, you, and it's interesting he would say, let us boldly approach. Because I don't think even the high priest in the Old Covenant approached that mercy seat boldly. I mean, they'd walk in, and legend has it. I've never seen this in Scripture, but legend has it, or tradition has it, Jewish tradition has it, that they tied a rope to the leg of the priest once a year when he went in for the Day of Atonement, and a bell. And when the bell stopped ringing, they started pulling. <laughs> Is he dead? So uh, if he didn't do it right, if he hadn't sacrifice for himself and the sins of the people going in there, then there was this fear that God would strike him as he did Nadab and Abihu and, and others. So, and yet the author of Hebrews says, let's approach boldly. Um, without rope. Without a bell. Because we come not as foreign agents, foreign representatives, but as sons. We wear his name. Right? Good. There's something to do with the fact that um, the stones are on the shoulders mm. referring to Isaiah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The representative not only being uh, uh, one of remember your covenant, but also the government, the rule of the people on his shoulders. And, and him giving us the stone again shows the unmerited elevation of sinners to saints. Of, of, of sinners to priest royal, you know, a nation of priestly kings, um, which is bizarre to me. You take your enemies and make them your rulers. Um, yeah? Oh, I was just thinking the idea of approaching boldly but not brazenly mm -hmm. is the difference between approaching, carrying the stone that he has given us the name that he wrote on it mm -hmm. that is all that he has done right versus brazenly approaching with our own little mud pie cards with our good works on it yeah i mean that yeah that's the difference if we're truly trusting him then we can't approach boldly because it's not anything right. at all having to do with us right well, what he did for us was right. bold and, and mm. people who don't know God's word, when we claim that and we were called to God, his promises and his words, it sounds really bold that he did it first. <coughs> we're just echoing what he has said. I, I think of our children and our 
it's not a, oh, I can't. It's my children. Right. There's a familiar relationship there. They feel comfortable doing that um, because you're not going to um, stop them. Yeah. Anything else? All right. You think so? That's all there is there? I'm sure we have. Well, let's pray. Father, this all sounds good. It sounds really uh, neat, and the image is beautiful, and all of it's tidy. But tomorrow will happen. We have to live in the world in which we are born, bearing the name of Christ and our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't do that rightly in our own strength, in our own power. And so we plead with you boldly that you do in us what only you can do, which is transform us once again, day by day, little by little, to look like Christ and mirror the name on the stone we wear. We ask that as we enter into the main service this morning that you would be glorified by hearts that are in love with you because of the work you have done in Christ for us. You are beautiful, holy, and glorious. And we want to look like you. You've called us to look like you. You've shown us and done the work for us in Christ. Help us to be who we are in Jesus, loving him more, trusting him more, and loving what he loves, his people. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.